This is the current federal tax developments for the week of February the 21st, 2022. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by your State Society of CPAs and by Kaplan Financial Education. This week, we're going to be looking at what's really one big development we had this week that seems to have uh, captured the attention of everyone, and that's going to be the IRS's relief granted for filing K-2 and K-3 for certain pass-through entities. So we'll discuss that here. And that relief, as we're going to be looking at, we're going to talk about how important is this relief, when doesn't the relief apply, and also what happens next year. So we have these issues to play with. So I'm Ed Zollers coming in here from Phoenix again. So let's get into the week that was. And I'll probably look at things that happened this week outside of this in next week's session. We'll do a little catch-up. But this is kind of dominated. I've spent the entire week doing virtually nothing but sessions on this and then writing up answers after the session for questions because it was one of those things where we had a huge number of people in a webcast and a topic that fit within the time frame barely. Uh, we did one hour or two hour sessions depending upon which sessions I was doing and when I'd scheduled things up. But in either case, we had way more people than we had the ability to answer questions during the session. So I spent most of the time when I wasn't interviewing clients that already booked for my tax season interviews because we don't do sessions this late in the tax season normally. And then writing up these answers and doing sessions. So it's been an interesting week where all those things have happened. And I think the numbers I've talked to in the last week and a half in some form are an insane number of CPAs on every session. So it's been interesting running things and going. But let's talk about what happened this week. Now, as you may remember from last week, the IRS had uh, attempted to defend the K2, K3 system, the one that they had kind of unveiled uh, back essentially back in 2020, but they had sort of hid, hid the lead, shall we say, at least for partnerships, by burying information deep in the instructions for the partnership return that would have required virtually every partnership to file K2 and K3, essentially to provide Part 2 and Part 3 information that would be necessary for the foreign tax credit computation. In January, they had then issued an update that finally put something in the who must file section of the instructions, which most people would read initially to figure out if they really need to read the other 30 plus pages. And that suddenly gave the first clue that even if you had no foreign activities and no foreign partners, you might still need to actually file this form. And that became an issue that people had to understand that this form was something you would actually need to deal with. So that was an interesting start. We got that in play. Now, the IRS last week essentially tried to tell in a statement given to uh, Kristen Perillo of Tax Notes Today that, well, you know, really, we had this out since the middle of 2020, and nobody complained about this. And, you know, and really, we're not asking for anything we didn't ask for in the past. And, you know, we don't understand what the upset is, but we're listening to people. And so it was kind of defensive in saying that, well, you know, why hadn't you guys mentioned this before? Kind of missed the basic point. And the basic point technically was that the original instructions, we take a look back at those, you know, what we had for our original instructions that we had, and let me switch, I've got a few things up here. So let me switch to the partnership instructions. Uh, you know, they, they basically at the very beginning had, and you'll see it here in the third column, they had here the issue of who must file, and as we mentioned last week, very misleading in the nature that says the partnership need not complete this schedule if the partnership does not have items that are national tax relevant. It's a schedule is K2, K3, because these are the K2, K3 instructions. And then it said typically international activities or foreign partners. Way too many people read that. I think most people would read that as saying, well, if my partnership has no international activities, and doesn't have any foreign partners, I don't need to file this form schedule. So I can skip reading the other 33 pages. 
I might go ahead and read down just in case, right? There's something else. So I, I might read, but nothing in here, you know, said essentially that I had to, uh, you know, do it if I didn't have those two things. Nothing mentioned the problem. Well, as you're kind of aware, back on January 18th, the IRS put up this changes to the 2021 partnership instructions for K2 and K3. And suddenly they added this section at the bottom of that note, at the bottom of that section that said, oh yeah, by, by the way, if you have uh, any partners that have foreign taxes and might need to fill in 1116 or 1118, well, you probably need to complete the form. And what that did was at that point, you began to notice if you actually had read the, if you actually wanted to go back and look at the entire instructions, first thing is you would have inserted that right over here at the top on page two, the first column, right at the bottom of that before where and when to file, you would have inserted that there. But then if you actually went back and read the instructions, you would have found this existing instruction on page seven, this little note here, nice long paragraph for a note. But essentially what it told you, which wasn't the original instructions, the IRS is correct about that. They just, they just made it so you were not likely to ever have read these instructions if you just stopped at the first page, having concluded that you didn't meet the criteria for who must file, well, turns out you did because typically isn't everything. And uh, well, turns out this. Now, typically would imply it's what's most likely gonna cause your problem. And I would say that was wildly wrong. This was most likely to cause the filing. You have partners who have brokerage accounts and get foreign taxes passed out on dividends. That's gonna cause your issue. And the only way you can avoid this was also bad was the presumption rule. For a partnership, if you don't have sufficient information from every partner that they do not need the information for the 1116, you must complete K2 and K3. So the presumption rule meant that every partnership you did effectively, if it had anything that would go on part one or part two and part three, of Schedule K-2 and Schedule K-3 had to complete those forms. And we'll discuss in the 1116 instructions why you had to complete those forms, why it's important, and how in the world it mattered you had nothing international, no foreign taxes withheld, no foreign taxes paid, no foreign activity, no assets that could ever generate foreign income. Why you suddenly had to file? Well, turns out there is a very good reason why you have to but it all goes back to the form 1116. But nevertheless, you know, that, that was it. So the IRS now, having done this, came back and said, okay, right, we, we've got that going. So after their response really didn't go over well, the IRS did this week uh, on, in the early in the evening of February 15th, they essentially confirmed they were going to add some more exceptions and some relief. They gave an announcement that was essentially a relief to come announcement on the evening of the 15th. And then on the morning, or yeah, basically, I guess it was morning everywhere. It was just before noon on the East Coast. Uh, the IRS published and updated their revisions to their frequently asked questions on K2 and K3. And they provided some relief there. And finally, a news release was issued at 4.40 Eastern time on February 16th that finally actually then repeated this. And secondly, if you're on that mailing list the IRS has for tax pros, well, that was the first time you got notified of this change about 24 hours after uh, those of us who were following on Twitter, the you know people on tax Twitter, uh, or even Reddit. Reddit was actually where the link to the FAQ first came up that I was aware of. We were aware of that much earlier, right? That things had changed, which was helpful for me because I was actually teaching courses that day, teaching sessions on this. So I had to adapt. I actually got the changes in just before I had to do a session. Uh, we, we knew that the FAQ was out, so I was adapting that quickly. Then had an hour between sessions to try to clean up a bit more and, and do a little more studying of what was in there. But today I've got time, so we're going to talk a little bit more about it today. But before we do that, let's go ahead and take the background of what was the general rule. And the reason why the general rule matters, the rules that were in place, that were the entirety of the rules prior to 
the 15th of February. And this is important because if you don't qualify for this relief, then you're going to be still back under these rules. So you have to understand how the general rules work and be able to apply them. Because it's not necessarily true that if you don't qualify for the relief, you're going to end up filing the forms. But it's going to be tougher to not file the forms, especially in a partnership, if you don't qualify for the relief. I think we can say that fairly safely. So we do want to understand also explains the rules and also why there's an issue. And the issue goes back to good old form 1116. And you got a domestic partnership or an S corporation that have no foreign operations, no foreign income, no foreign partners. They still have information partners will need, these U.S. partners will need, to complete their returns because of information required to properly complete Form 1116, that wonderful foreign tax credit form, or Form 1118. If you've got C-Corp clients, 1118 is the corporate version of the foreign tax credit, right? What's really the issue is lines one, three, and four of Form 1116 uh, require information about U.S. activities in order to properly complete the computations. Now, you might say, wait, that's foreign tax credit. Why do we need U.S. activities? Well, if you've actually looked at part one, you know, there, and you looked at part one of the form and you've looked at the computation for net basically net income, net foreign income, you're going to figure out that, yeah, there is information because we're going to need to know the ratio of income from the foreign country to net income or taxable income, effectively the portion of taxable income that is made up by that income from a foreign country. And if we have more than $5,000 of foreign income and we have any interest other than home mortgage interest, uh, claimed on the return, then I also have to know and do an allocation based on asset values. Okay. And if you're saying, wait, wait, wait you, you got to be kidding, right? That, that's not really there. Nope. Let, let's show you where it is. So we're not kidding. Uh, and this has been there for years. Th this is nothing new that this has been around for years. So let's go ahead and let's take a look back into the 1116 uh, instructions in this case, form 1116. And if you look at that, you come down here and where you're going to see where our problem comes in is right here in the part one uh, specific instructions, beginning on page 15. Now that tells you about taxable income or loss from sources outside the United States. And one of the problems you've got there is that you're going to be giving us gross income, not just from the foreign country, but I also need to know gross income from the United States, right? I need to know this, right? I need to know both gross income from the foreign country and the United States. Eventually, that's going to come up as we do it. At the very beginning, we just talk about gross income from the foreign country. And that's not a problem. But when you start getting over here at lines two through five deductions and losses, and specifically lines three and four, lines three are allocation of deductions generally, that aren't specifically associated with a type of income. And item four is the allocation of interest. And when you get there, you're going to discover that we're going to be doing an allocation on line three, right? So what we're going to have to do on line three is we're going to need to have our gross income. And our gross income, as we're going to see here, your gross income from all sources and all categories, both U.S. and foreign. Now, your partnership may have no foreign income, no foreign gross income, but it's wildly likely it has U.S. source gross income. It's wildly likely it has deductions. It's wildly likely, that not wildly likely, but somewhat likely, especially if it's a rental partnership, that you have interest expense. Okay? These items will all be required. Okay? The income is going to be required to allocate the expenses that don't directly relate to foreign income and that or foreign or U.S. income. And that could be things like standard deduction. It applies to either type of income. If all you had was foreign income, you'd still get a standard deduction, right? You'd get the standard deduction. And clearly it would all apply to the foreign income. If all you have is U.S. income, you're getting the standard deduction. It all applies to U.S. income. If I have a mix of U.S. and foreign income, then it applies to either. And that's important because 
The limitation on claiming the foreign tax credit will depend to a large extent on the ratio of foreign income in taxable income to overall taxable income. And we're going to compute that by starting with gross income and then computing the deductions that come out for the foreign income. And essentially what's left over will be U.S. Well, the deductions have to be allocated. That allocation is based mainly on gross income. And I say mainly because there's going to be an exception. But to know how far it goes, I said standard deduction. Look, look at this worksheet. Worksheet 4A on, in, in, on page 16 of the 1116 instructions. Specifically, is dealing with your home mortgage interest. Right? That's part of the issue here. Right? Those are the issues involved. Also, we're going to find that if we have other interests, right? Other types of interests. And I'll scroll up here for just a second. Right? In this case, if we have other interests, then we also have to do an allocation, right? That'll be there. Now, there is exceptions if we don't exceed $5,000. But as noted here, much of that interest, aside from home mortgage, has to be allocated using a special asset method that is described in detail in Pub 514. That's also going to be a key issue here. To understand the instructions for the K2 and K3, Part 2, Part 3, there is a presumption you have read and you're familiar with the instructions found in the 1116 instructions and publication 514, which deals with the foreign tax credit. So as I said, publication 514, foreign tax credit for individuals, there's an assumption you know about all this. So that's our starting point. If we need anything that's talked about in this, in this publication, or back on the instructions uh, for the Form 1116. We need any of that stuff to complete it. Well, we need to have the partner, if I should say from the partnership, I need the partnership to inform me as a partner about that information. And that means that, yeah, it's going to get messy fast. So let's go ahead then and go forward. What in the world, when do we have to complete this under the general rule? under what conditions. Generally, we're going to have to complete this under the general rule if a partner or shareholder has foreign taxes for which a foreign tax credit may be claimed and they're not eligible to make the election to not compute the limit on credible foreign taxes and thus not file Form 1116. An individual can make that election if three things are true. And this is actually described on page one of the 1116 instructions. And what they're going to tell you there is you can do it if you have only passive category foreign income. Passive does not mean passive activity, section 469, the loss limitation calculations. Nope. In this, in this world, passive means dividends, interest, and certain other investment assets. And you'll find that is described for you in the instructions about how you can get out of doing this. Uh, also, taxes reported on, if you have foreign taxes reported on qualified payee statements. Now, that means I've got foreign taxes, but it's been reported to me on what's called a qualified payee statement. A qualified payee statement is 1099-INT, 1099-DIV, uh, Form 1041-K1, or that should be Schedule K3, not K1, Form 1065 and 1120-S. If all of my taxes are reported, my foreign taxes are reported to me using those schedules, I'm fine. And I have no more than $300 of such taxes. If all of that is the case, then I'm great. Things are ready to go. And the details of that election are found back in the 1116 instructions. And the initial part of it is found actually right on page one. On page one of the instructions, we're going to find that this is found right when we get down there. And it tells you how to claim the foreign tax credit without filing Form 1116. If you do this, then you're going to be able to uh, just claim the credit directly on Schedule, uh, basically yeah, Schedule 3 Form 1040 on the simple line there. That line says, you know, foreign tax credit. And then it says attach 1116 if necessary. You make this election, there's no 1116 to attach. You just take those numbers straight over, your total taxes for the year, and 
that's what you report. In that case, uh, basically, we don't need all this information. And by the way, the passive category income, it is discussed there, and it's a bit broader, we can say, than this, as I recall. It actually has a description there, but there, in addition to interest and dividends, and dividends is a big thing, right? It could be from royalties, rents, annuities, excess of gains over losses of property that, produ that produces such income, or non-producing investment property, excluding gains or losses from current foreign currency or foreign transaction, right? That's also the group. If that's all of your foreign source income, and, right, which is passive, and you're getting it from the qualified, you know, we're getting it from, as the instructions tell us, you know, our assessments, our qualified payee statement, and we have less than $300 of such taxes, or $600 if married filing a joint return, if all of those are true, then we're able to opt out. And so, if a partner is able to opt out, then that also means we don't need to give him the K2, K3 information. He or she is just going to have to, you know, in essence, tough luck, we don't have to tell you. You may want to anyway, but we don't have to. Now, where this becomes a problem is, uh, we'll talk about in a second, is going to be what I'm going to deal with the presumption rule. But we'll get there in just a second. Now, here's the problem with the opt-out rule. Now, the opt-out rule is great for the 1116 if you meet that. So, you know, the client has credible foreign taxes, so we have to qualify to opt out to be able to just ignore the limits and put the, ignore the limits on this year's tax and put the amounts onto the 1116. The first problem is it only works for individuals. So if you have a corporate trust or estate partner with foreign taxes, you're going to have to complete K2 and K3 because they cannot opt out, right? If you have, if you have a trust, now if the trust actually distributes everything, so all the foreign tax information goes out to the beneficiaries, then the trust will not really be considered your partner. You'll go to the indirect partner, which will be the beneficiaries, and you'll look at them. Conversely, you know, like I said, if you have an S corporation, that's not our problem because again, we're going to look to the shareholders who will be our indirect beneficiaries, right? So we're fine. Don't worry, the S corporation can't opt out because it's going to pass it out. But we do have to worry about indirect partners all the way down. So if you have a partnership that is a partner in your partnership, you got to go find out about their partners. And if they have a partnership that was interested in them, you're going to have to drill down that level. You got to keep drilling till we run out of partnerships to look through to get that done. So kind of messy, but there's where we go. And while there's no foreign income limit, even a dollar of non-passive category income, there is an exception for high-taxed income that's described in 1116 instructions. Even though that's normally considered general category income on the foreign tax credit form, for purposes of the limitation, for the purposes of the election, we will temporarily consider that to also be passive category income for purposes of the passive, for purposes of the foreign tax credit. Again, remember, that's not passive income in the passive loss limitation sense. That's passive income in the older sense of interest, dividends. It's basically investment generated income is what we're looking at there. And finally, partner probably isn't going to know if they qualify or not until they have every 1099, consolidated 1099 from the broker, and they have every pass-through entities K1. So, it may take you a long time to discover if that partner will or will not need to file this information. So that's also a problem we've got. Now, the other big problem in the partnership range is a presumption. The partnership K2 and K3 instructions contain a presumption that all partners need this information. So you got to prepare schedules K2 and the associated K3s by default for everyone and file them with the return. Now, when we go to the instructions, I've already kind of shown you this in the partnership instructions on page seven. That last paragraph of the note on page seven uh, in the first column, it says, if you do not have sufficient, do not have or receive sufficient information or notice regarding a direct or indirect partner regarding whether they can make this opt out or whether they have credible foreign taxes, you must presume their elderly claim of foreign tax credit 
and such partner would have to file Form 1116 or Form 1118 to claim a credit. You have to uh, complete Schedule K-2 and Schedule K-3 accordingly. Now, the other interesting thing there is it never really gives us an option to say, could the partner tell us that they're going to claim the deduction for foreign taxes, which would eliminate the 1116, they're going to put that on Schedule A. Now, let's be honest. In most cases, putting the foreign taxes on Schedule A is going to disadvantage that partner who's probably not going to want to do it. But nothing here says even if they would make that sacrifice, it's not clear it gets you out of filing this form. I would say, you know, that for safety purposes, I would say you need to do it. And remember, if you don't do, if you don't follow this and you have not properly completed K2, K3, you didn't complete it when it was required, the IRS is looking at failure to file the return penalties, which get very nasty in a partnership or S corporation context. That is the threat. It was 2021-39 in talking about reasonable cause relief uh, for K2, K3 this year, issued last year. It specifically outlines the penalties that would apply. So, we know what the IRS claims they are able to assert if you don't follow this. And it does get more expensive if you intentionally don't follow it. So your client that says, I don't want to do it and they can't make me, ah, it could get really costly then. Because that's also the fact pattern that is most likely to never get reasonable cause relief. So just saying, you have to understand the high, you have to understand that if they're going to nail anybody, they're going to nail the I don't want to do it and they can't make me partnership. We'll just phrase it that way. That's how this thing works. So as I said, given the presumption, the partnership presumption rule, we can only avoid this if, you know, if we have information from every partner that they do not need this information. Depending upon how many partners, remember, this counts indirect partners as well. So I have to go all the way down to every partner and wait till everyone can tell me they don't need this data. Now, if I'm preparing the individual partners for all the returns and they all give me authorization to share information with the partnership, uh, I probably can't complete their individual returns until the partnership returns done anyway, right? I, I could literally, or, you know, I basically probably would be in a position where when I'm ready to finish the partnership return, I've already got all their brokerage statements, etc., or I tell them they got to get that in or the partnership return won't be done and I can force the issue a bit, shall we say, I might know everything, and then it's very simple. I can know they all qualified opt-out. I don't need the information, and now we're good. We can do it. It's much more complicated the more partners that are in the partnership that you are not preparing the return for, or if you have one of them, and then it becomes just impossible under this rule, who won't agree to allow the information to be shared with a partnership, about whether they have to file the 1116 because they're mad at somebody. I don't know why, they just won't give permission. So in any event, be aware of you know that issue. For that reason, a lot of firms that have a lot of partnerships where they don't do the partners, they don't, at least they don't do the majority of the partners, uh, they came to the conclusion early on, if the general rule applies, they are going to just do a K2, K3. They're, they figured it's going to take way more time to in essence, document everything and get all the information necessary to show they didn't have to file it, then it would take the, the information necessary to just fill out the form and give it to everybody and just be done with it. So do do that balancing act if you're under the general rule. Don't spend 30 hours doing work that, you know, probably if your software supports things, uh, might have taken you two hours to just do it as opposed to you know, and going through 30 hours of work and delaying filing until June sometime because that's when the one partner finally knew everything and then discovering you have to issue the stuff anyway. In essence, they, they looked at way too many scenarios like that, just decided the smartest thing to do was just prepare it. So, yeah, you've got to balance how difficult will it be to meet the exception, to get the information to meet the exception for your partnership versus how much time will it just take to just give the information and be done with it. That That's kind of the issue right now, okay? Now, as I said, all indirect partners are in this mix. Now, S-corporations are a lot more interesting. The S-corp K2, K3 instructions don't have any presumption line in it. In fact, they do tell us that we must prepare the schedules, do the K2, do all the K3s, if any shareholder requires that information. 
But these same instructions tell us that nothing in the, in the instructions, nothing in these instructions require you to make an inquiry of the shareholder unless other IRS guidance specifically requires it. And nothing in these instructions seem to require making the inquiry. So for an S-Corp, we don't have the presumption, but there still are issues that you have to be realized. And I, I think there are two potential problems that can force an S-Corp to do it anyway. First, if the signing shareholder, let's say the officer signing is a shareholder, 99% of the time, right, they're going to be. We don't usually have an officer that doesn't own shares. So if we have a shareholder signing the return and that shareholder has foreign credit for foreign taxes that are going to be in excess of him or her being able to make the, you know, make the election or he's going to have other, he or she has other type of income. They know they're going to have other type of foreign income that's going to block the election. Uh, I don't think they can sign the form. I don't think they can sign the return because they would be committing perjury because under the juret, they are supposed to be, say, this is true and correct to my knowledges, and they have knowledge that a partner, a shareholder, requires this information. They do. Similarly, I, I think the preparer may have a problem here. If they're preparing any of the returns for the individual shareholders, which often is true, and you become aware of that shareholder, you just got their 1099B, like one I opened yesterday, but not, not for a shareholder of an S-Corp. But if it had been, I opened the 1099B, and she has $800 of foreign taxes. Gang, we're out of the, we're, we're way past the limit. You know, she's filing single, three, over $700 of foreign taxes. She's not qualifying for the election. So if I was doing an S corporation that she's a shareholder in, I'm now aware that there's a shareholder that needs to file these forms. And that's a problem. Uh, now we get back to whether she would give me permission to let the partnership know that, or the S corp know this. And then we have the whole conflict of interest potential measure. So you'd hope that she's not upset with the S-Corp and simply says they don't, you know, it's not their business anything about this. I'm not talking to them. I forbid you, right? Absolutely. And that doesn't matter if she forbids me or not. She's got to give me permission and written permission because it's 1040 information um, to use it for anything besides her return. Eh, right. We, we got a problem there, potentially. But hopefully I don't have that problem. Okay. Now, that's a long way around to getting to the actual relief. So what did we get this week? And these are the FAQs of K2 and K3 tax life, right? This updated FAQ, which is on the IRS website, was issued the morning of February 17th, or I should say 16th. I always get my, get my dates wrong here. I forget. 15th was the first day. 16th was the other. I keep forgetting Monday was the 14th, right? So we got to get into that. It added question 15, which provided specific relief, right, for this purpose, right? Uh, so that FAQ on the IRS website, which I believe I have up. So let me go back and see if I've already got it up in Chrome. So I can switch over to uh, do this issue. The problem is they all say this. Oh, well, did I actually have this? Eh, maybe not. Okay. Well, they, they put the, uh, oh, there it is, frequently asked questions. So this went up that morning, right? Actually went up the 16th, and then it got modified the 17th. And the only modification the 17th was they, they forgot to put all these added things in here because they was all came up on the 16th to give the date these things came up. So basically this came up, and the big one's going to be down here in question 15. This is where you're going to find the additional exceptions for tax year 2021 because this describes all the other rules but 2021 is part of that right so there'll, there'll be various issues involved here also some special cases if an upper tier partnership does not receive a k3 from a lower tier partnership and issues like that so we've got that described there of various other factors but this is the big one we're looking at here on question 15 and we'll talk about question 15 and what exactly it told us here in just a second. Let's go ahead and keep going. Before you're going to get the relief under question 15, though, we are going to have to meet three criteria. And we'll talk about these three hurdles we've got to get over in order to be able to use it all. If you do not clear the hurdles, you're back to the general rules. So back to what we talked about before now. Okay, so just understand it goes. If you clear those hurdles, 
the presumption, at least for a partnership, changes. I'm not sure it changed at all for an S-Corp. By the way, the instructions were written for the S-Corp. So for the partnership, the presumption changes, right? You end up with a presumption, no partner needs the information on part two and part three. Now, if they need it for something else, some other part, this doesn't cover it. But we assume nobody needs that information unless a partner, or unless you become aware, a partner will ask for this information. If we become aware of that, then we're back to having to file it and hand it out, okay? That's the requirement, but we now go to waiting for that. There is a link which never fits well in these slides, but there it is, uh, which will get you there. I just go to Google and, you know, query, uh, you know, schedules K2 and K3 frequently asked questions. And if you want to really do that bright, you put site colon iris.gov first, then put that down. And it should take you straight to these FAQs. Now, what the IRS originally announced was this on that evening, right? And they eventually did put it online on the special alert page, too, that we had there. But it told us they were going to give us certain relief uh, with an S corporation with no foreign activities, partners or shoulders, and without knowledge of partner or shoulder need for the information. Now, that's interestingly worded. Um, that's going to cause a little problem. Like I said, if you prepare the return, you may have knowledge that a partner needs this, but they're going to keep talking about, they're going to kind of interchangeably refer to requests received or aware requests will be submitted or knowledge that this is so, we don't have a really solid rule on when the trigger takes place. It changes every time you read a different paragraph, they subtly change the wording, which it would have been nice had it been a little more consistent, but they weren't. So let's talk about the three hurdles you have to clear, okay? Here are three hurdles you've got to clear to use this simplified method. In tax year 2021, the direct partners. Now, this is interesting. We do not have to consider indirect partners at this point. That's nice, right? So if you, so we just need to look at our direct partners in 21. Those are people we issue a K-1 to. I do not have to ask my S corporation partner if, you know, they have any of these people. I don't have to do drill down. So there's good. As long as none of my K-1s are going to, whoops, get this in the right order, a foreign partnership, a foreign corporation, a foreign individual, a foreign estate, or a foreign trust, I clear the first hurdle. Okay, if you're sending any one of those back to the general method, we're done, right? You're not going to get this relief. The second hurdle you need to claim, again, looks at your 2021, this year. You have no foreign activity. That includes no foreign taxes paid or accrued. This is a stumbling block that's more likely to be an issue for your partnership, right? You're here because if previously you had foreign partners, you were probably already aware you're going to do K2, K3. So nothing surprised you about the presumption rule, except you'd have to fill in maybe part two and part three when you thought you didn't have to. But otherwise, you're already doing K2, K3. If you didn't think you were doing it, now you've got a problem. If you have any foreign taxes paid or accrued, you're back under the general rule. And probably going to file it anyway because foreign taxes paid come out in section three or in part three. Remember, we got parts and within parts have sections. In part three of the schedule K2 and schedule K3. So yeah, we're going to be filing that anyway. But any foreign tax, and there's no de minimis number here. So if you, if the partnership went out and put some money in a, you know, mutual fund, a global mutual fund. They got the 1099 now from the fund this year and they received $5.22 of credible foreign taxes. Gang, you're preparing the forms. That's it. Game, set, match. We're done. Also, you cannot have any ownership of assets that generate, have generated, or may be reasonably expected to generate foreign source income. So any assets outside the country will generally be in this category. You know, so you've got, you know, you're, you bought a rental property in Mexico. You're not yet ready to rent it, but you're planning to rent this property in wherever outside the U.S. That is an asset that may reasonably be expected to generate foreign source income, certainly will at some point. And that creates an, that creates, we need that asset number because of the schedule three or the part three, schedule three, get that right. Schedule K1, part three, schedule K1. Uh, Section two, interest disclosures. We have to disclose asset values there. 
So either one of those takes you off the list. So you're gone back to the general rule again. Okay. Finally, in year 2020, this can get you in trouble based on last year's K-1. The partnership or S corporation did not provide to its partners or shareholders, nor did the partners or shareholders request information regarding on the former attachments, anything on line 16 of form 1065 or the equivalent line 14, I should say of schedule KK1 of 1065 or the equivalent line 14 on schedules K and K1 of the 1120S. Line 16 and line 14 is identically worded on the S Corp K1 is foreign transactions. That's where you disclose your foreign taxes, foreign income, anything else related that you had last year. If you made any disclosures in box 16 on the K1s last year, you don't qualify for this relief. Now realize if this year you have none of that stuff and all the partners qualify for the exception, you still might not need to file the K2 and K3, but you're not going to get the presumption you don't need to. That's the big caveat. If that was there last year, or if somebody requested it last year and you provide it to them last year, you're now back to presuming everybody needs this data. You have to do K2, K3. Even if you don't have this data this year, you're going to have to report the gross income numbers because this is the IRS's presumption that these partners or shareholders have foreign activities. As such, we need to give them this information. There's also a requirement similarly if you had to do certain specific disclosures in the other disclosure box, box 20C for a, a partnership, box 17D for an S Corp, you have a controlled foreign corporation, passive foreign investment companies, 1120F information, section 250, that whole FITI stuff last year, 864C8, 721C partnership information with foreign entities, and section 7874 disclosures. And if you had those, you know, you had entries down in 20C related to foreign items of this sort, then you have to. Also, you don't qualify for the automatic, don't need to do this. And that's line 17D. So box 17, code D essentially is what it is. Uh, for the S Corp, similar issue. If you have any of that stuff to report, it was on last year's S Corp return, you do not qualify for this relief. Now, if you qualify for the relief, then as noted, we're going to assume that your partners don't need this information. However, if they tell you they do, right, before the return is filed, if any partner or S-Corp shareholder notifies the partnership or S-Corporation before the partnership or S-Corporation files its return, the conditions for the exception are not met, right? And you must provide the K3 to the partner or shareholder and anybody else who has information on there that could be relevant to them. And you must provide Schedule K2 and K3 to the IRS for the partners. So if they notify you ahead of time, you have to do it. I suspect, like I said, for the S-Corp shareholder who's signing the return, uh, if they know they themselves need it, that probably means we have knowledge it'll be requested. And if, you know, if in fact we have you know, if, and basically if we're preparing those other shareholders returns and we're aware of the issue, that sets up a bit of an uncomfortable situation potentially. And I would probably lean to doing the K2 and K3, uh, unless you want to go dig and make sure none of them need, need this information. And that gets a little messier because you already know one does. Once you know one does, we're done. I don't need to know if we meet this condition. And we really don't know. Now, you know, if somebody's had $20,000 of foreign income from investments for the last 30 years and, you know, thousands of dollars of credible foreign tax, uh, guys, you know, they're going to be asking this year, right? Let, let, let's not play games. I don't know yet. It's like, yeah, you know, you, you would know if you just like looked at the brokerage statements through the end of the year, if they didn't have the 1099 consolidated out yet. You know, it's going to be there. Be reasonable. Uh, but if you really have one where it's close, you know, they've had $150, $200 worth of credible foreign tax every year, unless somehow it went way up this year, they're not going to do it. Then I think you could say, yeah, we didn't know at the time that they were going to request and we're good. I think we're good in that scenario. Okay. So seems seems to work without a problem. That, that could be it. 
right? If they do it after the returns filed, we have to give them the information at that point. Okay. So if they ask after the return is filed, we then hand them the information. That's how this one works. So yeah, pretty straightforward. Okay. What if the entity fails to qualify for this relief? At that point, you go back to the general rules to see if the schedules must be completed and filed. What you've done is you're back to the presumption on a partnership that everybody needs this information. They need the information because we're presuming they're going to fill in Form 1116. Uh, if they want to, if, you know, if there is a foreign tax credit available, they would have to fill in Form 1116. They wouldn't qualify for the exception. The only way we can avoid this is find out they have no credible foreign taxes, so there's not going to be 1116 filed. Or we're going to find out they qualify for the exception, even though they have the taxes, they could go straight to Schedule 3. And if we find that out, we're good, but we're back to having to find that out, right? So that's going to require documenting that information. And that's probably the biggest hassle. Not only do I need to know it, I'm going to have to document how, we, how the partnership knows it. Or the partnership has to maintain documentation on how they know every partner qualifies for the exception. Again, if this is an office building with two people, they send the return information to you early, you do the partnership, you do the, uh, you do the partnership and you do both partners. That's easy. We know we qualify. We know we're going to be good. But as you get to messier situations where you're doing a lot of K1s for partners you don't do the return on, or you've got a partnership in there and you don't do that partnership return, you know, things are just messy. At that point, you may be simply saying, look, I'm going to spend far less time just preparing the form. At this point in time, I believe all the major software vendors now have the PDF filing option, which is allowed. You don't have to wait for the XM, the uh, MEF XML, the XML portion of it, uh, to be ready to go on March 20th for a partnership or somewhere in June for an S-Corp, you can just do the PDF attachment mode. Now, sometimes you got to tell your software, I want to attach the PDF. Some software is going to apparently automatically default to doing the PDF, at least until they can do the MEF, you know, the MEF slash XML way of submitting. Uh, and then they'll fix that later. So check your software. I am told in some cases, it's not easy to find the trigger to say, I want to do it PDF, but it is in there. And again, once you find it, you found it. It'll be for everybody to be easy. So do consider how much work it's going to be to actually get exempted from this versus how much work it'd be to just provide the data. You've got a partnership that only has a single office building. It's renting, has a few basic expenses. Uh, and especially if the mortgage is paid off, well, you know, we're, we're down to just average asset values, the income, the deductions, which would be depreciation and everything else. It's going to be a fairly simple disclosure. It's There's not going to be much point in actually fighting too hard to keep from doing it if you end up with a bunch of partners, you know, who you don't do the K, you don't do the returns for. Then it's probably going to be simpler to just say, forget it. And I think that'll be true. Even if your partnership is a little more complicated than what it does, it still may be simpler than getting that data and educating the preparers of all the partners who you don't do the returns for or helping all the partners do the returns for because they do it on TurboTax, uh, figure out how to make this work. That yeah, you're, you're going to be taking on a lot of training that you just probably don't want to take on. And, or, and then you got to tell the partnership, you're going to have to charge them for all this time you're spending training their partners. And yeah, it's going to be easier to just give them the K2. We'll put it that way. And as I said, because of the way the instructions are written for the S-Corp, I keep going back to that. I don't see the presumption there. And without the presumption, I think the escort may still be in the same position whether or not you do this. The only difference there is it doesn't say notify in the escort rules. It's just if one will have to do it. And there, I think now as a preparer, you're really stuck if you know or have reason to believe that one will need to do it. Uh, you're really stuck if you try to prepare the escort return without uh, preparing the K2, K3. Because remember, you do sign a jurat under penalties of perjury as well that that return is uh, complete and correct, you know, in all relevant, in all, you know, in all areas, you know, based on all of the knowledge you have, and you have knowledge it's not. So that's a problem. Otherwise, hey, we got it. Will we see more relief? I don't know. I, I doubt this year we will. Uh, will they carry this over to next year? 
Right now, everything just says for 2021, you get this special relief. So right now, you have to assume for 22, you're back to the general rule for everybody and the partnership presumption that everybody needs this data on your gross receipts, period, and having to get and having to get disclosures, information, or statements from all partners that they qualify for the exemption or have no foreign taxes, and that'll be the deal going forward. So for now, be aware next year, until we hear otherwise, uh, presume you got to get all this done, so be aware of how it happened. Uh, but again, we don't know how it is for next year, and you probably will have at least a couple of partnerships where, yeah, you're going to have to prepare all this stuff anyway because you know somebody technically has, has foreign taxes and they're above the limits because they might not have anything but passive income. It might all come on the 1099s. But once it goes over $600, I don't care what their filing status is, they're going to need it. And if it's under $600 but more than $300, then we also kind of have to know if they're a married couple, are they filing a joint return or not? Because only a joint return would qualify at, let's say, $500 of foreign taxes. If it's all in the name of one spouse, uh, then, you know, I need to know, are you going to file a separate return or a joint return? And that may be the issue for the spouse who is receiving the K-1. Whose name is the partnership in? And is that person have more than 300? And if they do, are they filing a joint return? And that's interesting questions. And again, even more likely to produce some of that none of your business. I don't want, I don't want to let you know that we're filing separate because we're going to get divorced. That's nobody's business, but ours, you know, and they won't say, I'm not going to tell you because we're getting divorced, but you know, they'll probably figure out if you go, if you're doing married separate and that information gets to the partnership. Ooh, why aren't you guys filing a joint return? Well, because we're getting divorced, but we haven't told anybody yet. Yeah. So you might run into trouble there. So otherwise, hopefully that's after a messy week has settled down some things and you now understand the parameters for the K2 and K3. Uh, I will look at other update items next week, but th this week I felt that given all the stuff I've been doing, given all the information going on, and given all the questions I've gotten, that this clearly was the big thing. So we did the big thing this week. So Going forward, like I said, I do have, if you have questions, Ed Zollers, CurrentFlowTaxDevelopments.com. Uh, I also do hang out on the Connect sites for Arizona, New Jersey, Minnesota, Illinois. Uh, take a look at Washington. Look at the information posted on Idaho's posting sites. Uh, so you can find me there if you have it. I also hang out on Twitter at, at Ed Zollers is my handle there. You can follow and I post when things update there. Plus our website, CurrentFlowTaxDevelopments.com. But in any event, hopefully this is our last crisis for this tax season. Hopefully I don't have to do another set of webinars for everybody where it's overcrowded and we're actually having to get bigger online rooms because we're filling up the rooms that have been purchased initially at a size that nobody felt there'd ever be any risk that run out of space. So I'm hoping I have nothing this exciting, let's say from the standpoint of presentations, uh, to do over the next few weeks and we can just get to the end of this tax season without a problem. But in any event, whatever happens, we will uh, give you the information next week here in current federal tax developments.